Greg Maddox wasn't knocking the bats out of people's hands back in the day. No, 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 no. He was able to get people out by changing speeds, by being crafty. Now you're saying to yourself, are you on the right show, Swizz? The answer is yes, and I will get into that in a second. By the way, it is 2 p.m. on the East Coast. This is Market Call. I am Guy Adami. That's Dan Nathan. Today's Market Call brought to you by FactSet. Financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. They're also our data provider. Now, I mentioned the great Greg Maddox because, as I said, he's not knocking the bat out of your hand. He's changing your eye level. He's changing speed. So what did Dan and I decide to do over the weekend? We decided to change speeds on you folks. Maybe throw you a little bit of a curveball and start this at 2 p.m. Eastern time. How are you, Dan? I'm doing well. What would your be? What would your pitch be, guy? If you had like one pitch, you know what I mean? Like you know, I'm, no, I'm a high heat guy. So yeah, it's just, funny you say bring, that. They um, see they see it coming a mile away. You just no. Like, and I also tell people what's coming. And we used to play. We used to play stickball back in my day. You remember? You see yes. those old videos of Lou yeah. Gehrig and stuff. But yeah. um, we would play. It would be my buddy Tony and I against my buddy Richie and whoever was around. And I would tell Richie, "Listen, I'm going to hit you now." <laughs> just tell me where you want me to hit you, and I'm gonna. Why I'm were gonna you plunking you. Richie? What were you? Why were you plunking Richie? Like what? Because the, just for the intimidation factor, you want people to know. I mean, the great pitchers, the Bob Gibsons, the Don Drysdales, yeah. they were brushing you back. I'll tell a quick story. Now, Dan is like, "Oh my God, what are we doing here?" By the yeah. way, we all, we'll talk about the markets in a second. So back in the day, I do remember this. Um, I think it was Don Drysdale. I don't know who the manager was at the time. It might have been like a Walter Alston walked to the mound and told Don Drysdale he should walk the next batter. Of course, you don't really say that to Don Drysdale. And before Alston got into the dugout, he heard a thud and <laughs> Drysdale had hit the guy in the rib cage. And later he asked him, why did he do that? He told him to walk him. He said, because I didn't want to waste three more pitches, which I think is one of the most brilliant things I've ever heard. Anyway, how are you, Dan? I'm doing well. I had a heck of a weekend. I was down in NOLA, as they say, guys, down for the Jazz Fest, New Orleans. Uh, you know, so I'm uh, I'm feeling it. I'm ready to get back into Let's the do mix it. here. You know, this S&P, okay? And, and we're going to talk about a few things here. We're going to talk about – what I love about Mondays is we get some pretty, pretty big prominent strategists that come out with their kind of weekly pieces here. And we like to quote uh, uh, Mike – Wilson over there at Morgan Stanley, uh, Marco Kalanovic from JP Morgan. Um, you know, some of these guys um, haven't thrown in the towel yet. People are asking me when I'm going to change my tune. I'm not going to speak for you. I don't do the sort of work that these guys do coming up with earnings estimates for this year and for next. That's not what my kind of market outlook is based on. But I think if you watch Market Call or you listen to On the Tape, you understand uh, what the inputs that we use to kind of help form our macro sort of thesis that would be the top down and then when we kind of talk about sectors or individual names that would be the bottom up and we kind of try to meet in the middle and so i think it's interesting here that mike wilson you know is kind of sticking to his guns marco kalanovic is sticking to his guns i kind of want to stick to my guns here too guy and and we're going to highlight some things that maybe kind of represent maybe the changing kind of uh landscape as it uh, relates to market breadth in, in a few minutes here but i just if you pull up this S&P chart, and, and I just want to kind of show the short-term volatility, we're still not above the Fed, 
Feb 2 highs. I mean, when you think about it, we're still in that sort of downtrend. You see the volatility bands have been widening over the last week or two, guy, but we still have a VIX at 17. Mm -hmm. And so it's not like we've had the breakout yet. And you could take off that downtrend. Maybe that doesn't even matter so much here. And so I still am in the camp. And especially if you're bullish, the healthiest thing right here might be a check back to that 200-day and that rising, you know, that uptrend that's been in place from the October lows. But, like, a breakout from here obviously would be bullish, too, and especially if there was more to it than just the five or six names that we talk about that have been doing most of the heavy lifting in the markets this year. Well, that's it. I mean, Microsoft, Apple, I think we talked about it at some point last week, some ridiculous percentage of the overall of the S&P 500. And, again, that's great when they're going higher – Obviously, they'd be concerned if they started to turn. And people will come down on either side. They'll say that's a great thing because the rest of the market is really cheap and it has some catching up to do. And then people on the other side say, well, the entire market's being carried by a handful of names. And we've had that conversation a number of times. And it was a Friday, April 14th was the last day before my vacation to San Francisco. The S&P was 4137. And if you look at it right now, I think it's 4137. Now it's moved both higher and lower along the way, but we're effectively unchanged, now closing in on a month, which is pretty remarkable. And along the way, we've seen days where the S&P closes up one, up two, down one, down two, which historically, percentage-wise, is a very small percentage of that uh, potentially happening. Yet it's happened a few times over the last month or so. So I don't know what it's shaping up for. If you're bullish, you're saying we're making a base, we're about to break out. If you're bearish, we're saying... Can't get out of its own way here. It's just a matter of time. I think both sides have a viable argument. I'm still in your camp, though. You know, I'm, I'm hard pressed to understand what the next catalyst is. Now, maybe the catalyst potentially could be getting through this debt ceiling thing. Janet Yelling's going to be chirping later on today, I think, with uh, Sarah Eisen. She's clearly ringing the alarm bells. There's a meeting tomorrow at the White House with effectively Speaker McCarthy and three other people, along with President Biden. We'll see what happens there. But that June 1st date is fast approaching. So there are a lot of things to be concerned about. The market seems to be concerned about none of them. Well, it's funny. I, so the question is, is what is the stock market pricing in for, for some sort of, you know, kind of impasse on, on the debt ceiling and, and then really kind of getting to the 11th hour of that? And I think that we should all be prepared for that. I don't think the, the, the S&P is pricing in anything for that right now. Let's just be clear, especially with a VIX at seven. You know, it's worth noting, though, that in, you know, since that last Fed meeting, I mean, we have the two year back at 4%. We have the 10 year at three and a half percent. It got down to three two. the 10 year. Um, so, you know, some of these inflationary readings um, are kind of staying pat a little bit. You know, we saw some jobs data that wasn't um, I, I think it was good for the economy, I think, as you said last year, but not good for what the Fed is trying to do. Um, back to the S&P really quickly, though. So David Rosenberg of Rosenberg. Rosie who will be on the tape pod. He will be on the on the tape pod this week with you and Danny. Yeah, that's happening here, people. So if you have any questions for Rosie, uh, ping Amanda. That's Amanda at riskreversal.com. She loves Be nice, it. though. If yeah. you want, you know, the vitriol send to me. The nice stuff send to Amanda. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, look at this tweet from Rosie earlier uh, in uh, today. Guy, he was mm-hmm. talking about the equal weight S&P versus the market cap weight. Market breadth is so bad that the S&P 500 equal weight um, – cap weight index ratio has plunged to levels we have last uh, saw in April of 2022. And I think it's important to note that in April 2022, 
we still had those major names holding in there. We had lots of stocks in the NASDAQ um, and the S&P and all different sectors that had been correcting for months at that point. We still had you know, the S&P off of its highs, but those big names had yet to break. And until those broke, we really didn't have that sort of crescendo into this, the kind of late summer um, and, and into those October lows. And so keep an eye on this. I think this is kind of important because when you see that start to reverse, it means that those major names in the S&P market cap weight um, have starting to give up a little bit. Well, that's exactly right. They're starting to roll over. So when you see this chart, if this were to reverse the other way, yep. there's a chance. I mean, again, a lot of weird things can happen, but the, the probability of the broader market rolling over uh, is exactly that. I mean, that suggests that we've gotten too far to too few stocks, and when it reverses, uh, it starts to give it up a little bit. We'll see. Again, you know, it's it's frustrating. I think for both bulls and bears. I'm reading some comments. People saying the bulls are winning. Yeah, and some single stocks of bulls are winning, and some bears are winning, and some single stocks on the other side of things. If just obviously today, notwithstanding, on the banking side of the equation, obviously there've been some heroic trades to the downside. And energy, you've mentioned as well. I mean, some of the sell-offs and yeah. some of these energy names have been pretty big. So. Been, there's been good and bad along the way. The S&P is nowhere to that earlier chart. Yeah. I mean, as much as people want to raise the victory flag, there's no victory flag to be raised right now. Well, let me let me just make a point there. I mean, so last week, I think it was last Monday, you know, in this same market, the S&P is at the same spot it was basically last Monday. You know, I detailed two bearish trade ideas, one in Schwab, one in Exxon. Um, in, in a week that the market rallied and and both of those trades made money, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, so I, I guess the point is, is, you know, and, and you and I listen, you know, we do this Monday through Thursday, we do our on the tape podcast, um, we go on fast money a few nights a week, this, that, whatever, we're talking a lot. And, and I think one of the things that's most important is like, think about this. I mean, I, I almost think about what we're trying to do here, or what we've been doing over the last couple of years is not too different than, you know, you turn on the sports center to hear what happened during the day and what might happen tonight and what you're looking forward to tomorrow. So we're just kind of calling calling it the way we're seeing it. We're telling you what we're doing in the markets. Um, we're trying to be fairly consistent and not change our mind um, too frequently. Some of you guys may say, well, you're dug in. And hey, listen, you know what? I actually feel stuck right now from a commentary standpoint um, because I have a couple positions that are, are kind of going against me in, in very short order here. One of those would be NVIDIA. You know, I did detail just full disclosure. It's all here. When the stock was 264, this is about two weeks ago, the stock's 288 right now, a bearish trade idea. It is hurting me, right? And so, you know, some of this stuff, it, it, it comes and goes. I think kind of also, if you're here, you hopefully are enjoying what we have to say or you appreciate it. I know some of you guys think we're just contrary indicators. I, we see those comments every once in a while. Um, but I guess the point is, is like, listen, you know, you, you can find, you know, bearish trades that are going to work out in a raging bull market and, and vice versa. And so um, hopefully kind of just, you know, our two cents is, is worth it for you guys to pay attention to some of this stuff and give you a better sense of um, kind of how we're seeing things. Um, you know, it can be kind of isolating being all alone with your own positioning sometimes. I just want to make one point, Guy. Maybe you can comment on this. We have an NDX chart, and this really speaks to that breadth that we're talking about here. And this is a bit more constructive, right? So this chart now, if you look at where it's trading right now, it's above its highs from February you know, 2nd. It's above the, the recent highs from last month, right? So, 
you know, you see that we're, we're kind of trending higher here. And the next real level is that August high. I mean, that's mm -hmm. it. There's nothing else to kind of look at. Thoughts on this? Because this really is in a microcosm what we're talking about as far as that breadth getting narrow and narrower. And those six, seven names make up 45% of the NASDAQ 100. Yeah. Well, I, listen, Google's gotten off the mat. That's one. Um, Microsoft has clearly had a remarkable move. That's two. Apple, without question, has gotten um, a huge bounce since that 125 level. NVIDIA, we talk about all the time. And you throw in even in Amazon, which is hasn't been gangbusters, but that's bounced off its bottom. And that leads you to the current levels. I mean, Tesla, we could throw in, but that's really pretty much done nothing. I think it's sort of mired around 172. So it makes sense, um, clearly, in terms of the relative outperformance but, you know, with the exception of Google, I mean, all the stocks that I mentioned are pretty expensive in this environment. They've really gotten themselves a standard deviation or two away from their even their historical norms in terms of valuation. Now, I understand that valuation is not the only input. And if you trade solely on valuation, a lot of times you're going to get um, blown up. But with that said, you have to take it into consideration. And those stocks are all expensive. What's the catalyst to take them lower? I don't know. Maybe it is the bond market. Maybe once again, yields are headed higher. It's amazing that, as we said last week, it really felt like 10 year yields wanted to go to 3%. And now they're looking to party again on the upside. So party. there's so, you like that? There's so I many do. cross currents. And by the way, you mentioned you don't like being by yourself. Of course, for you Eric Carmen fans out there, he sang the great song All By Myself. Now, there'll be people that say it's that, what's her name? That's in Las Vegas all the time. That sing, share, share. No, not share. The one Amanda will say it in my ears she or swizzle. type it in the. Nah, she's some brutal singer that I I don't even yeah. think she likes herself. A uh, Celine Dion. That's the one. What, is, what does that mean? She don't even think she likes. Her. All right, let, let, let's talk a little bit. No, some... I mean I'm sure she likes herself as a yeah. human being. My sense is people love like her Celine. Music. Yeah. Oh, I got you. Yeah. Um, hey, so so makes one of the me, things makes that, me that, wince. So one of the Sorry. things that caught my eye, if you're going to talk, like if you if you want to think about this kind of whole breadth ar argument, okay, and we've talked about it a lot, and and you know I said this last week, I think on on the tape on Friday that I think all the market's risk has been transferred to basically a, a dozen names, and that's not a good place to be, especially with all the uncertainty that we have about the economy, about inflation, about the path of rates, about geopolitical stuff about this debt ceiling it just seems like that's massively underappreciated the flip side of that is one of the reasons i love earnings season is that you get to hear from these companies right you get to hear their guidance when they're willing to give it you get to hear what analysts have to say mm -hmm. whether they've been offsides and they reposition they change their numbers or whatever and so one of the ones that really stuck out to me, and I had a great conversation last week with Deirdre Bosa of CNBC's Tech Check. You call her what guy? Debo. Just Debo. Um, and she's covered Uber, you know, for years while it was still, um, you know, a private company into their IPO. And this company, you know, came out and it just like a lot of IPOs, tech IPOs that we've seen over the last 10 years, just failed almost right out of the gate. Right. And part of it was like at certain parts of this kind of cycle that we've been in even with low rates investors are like hey we got to see some profits that was fine that you were like lighting vc cash on fire you know what i mean to acquire customers and, and the like that sort of thing and so that thing fell like a lug well you know dara has done a really nice job since taking over a few years ago of basically laying out some points in which that he like wanted to guide investors to analysts to about profitability at first it started out you know ebitda profitability then free cash flow and then actual gap profitability and 
he's done all this thing. Look at the one year chart of this thing, guy. You know, like, like, uh, like, look at what it's just done since that earnings report. It bounced off that 200 day, back it out a little bit. And you say to yourself, this thing, you know, this kind of might be ready to kind of break out a little bit, still expensive. And I just want to make one other point. So look at Airbnb. Okay. This was also a late 2020 IPO. Look at what this thing's starting to do, starting to look a little bit constructive. And if you back it out um, even further, you see, well, this is well off those highs. When I say it failed, it, it, it broke price on its, um, well, this is Airbnb didn't do that. Um, but this thing, again, you, this is like gap profitable, this company. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then just look at DoorDash. Here's the last one here. These are all these gig economy names and they were all trading at very high valuations. Um, but I think that this is also kind of interesting. Is this thing trying to bottom, guy? It's holding its 200-day moving average. So, again, um, kind of interesting. And if you saw some of these names, and these are real market cap companies. That's 25 billion Airbnbs. Um, bigger than that, um, Uber is 70-plus or something like that. That would help make the argument that the breadth is improving in the NASDAQ. Is that fair to say? No, without question. That would it obviously helps. If you throw in some software as a service names, if yep. those start to get off the yeah, then you can make an argument that maybe we're through the worst of it. And this is abs absolutely a healthy sign. I mean, DoorDash here that you bring it up. I mean, this is interesting in so much as really hasn't had that move. And one has to wonder, you know, with a $25 billion market cap, could that be potentially, and I can't even believe I'm going to say this, but not a tuck-in because obviously it'd probably be a yeah. 35 to $40 billion deal. But you wonder if that would make sense for somebody. But your point is well taken. I mean, these stocks have all gotten off the mat in a meaningful way, and we need to see some uh, some other type of leadership. i got to be careful using that word because the market's not going to – the fate of the market is not going to be determined by what happens with Uber. I think you're not saying that, I understand, but it is without question a good sign. But – Again, so much of this is, is predicated on what are what are people willing to pay for a dollar's worth of earnings in this environment? And you continue to hear from economists that say, and Mike Wilson wrote about it, I think, or over the weekend or earlier today, that you know, people just don't understand uh, the effects, the lag effect and the impact all this is going to have on earnings. And listen, yeah. I'll be the first to say, I thought it was going to manifest itself this past quarter, it didn't. Earnings were not as bad as people were looking for, which in this environment is exactly what you needed. But the question really comes down to, is that a good thing or a bad thing? And I'm on the camp that it's probably a bad thing because we're just prolonging the inevitable. Yeah. So just to make one point, if they pull up the, the Airbnb, like that longer term chart since its IPOs and, you know, um, it just what two two and a half years ago or something. I mean, th this this company is supposed to grow earnings, you know, twenty three percent this year, twenty two percent next, uh, fifteen percent sales growth in each year. And you say, okay, so it trades thirty seven times this year, thirty times next. That seems kind of expensive, but this is an eighty two percent gross margin company. Okay, like like like. So when you think about that, right? And so that seems expensive in this rate environment. But I guess if you want to talk about the potential that they have to continue to grow market share and all that sort of stuff. So I guess I'm just pointing out, guy, like it's not the market. The Nasdaq's not going to break out because Uber is going to drag it up. The stock market or the Nasdaq could break out and, and get above those kind of August highs or towards them because other parts of the NASDAQ are starting to kind of get back on their horse other than those major names. And those major names can basically just kind of grind a little bit um, and have some other groups do some heavy lifting. We're seeing stuff around AI. And maybe they can pull up the Salesforce because you just mentioned some of these SaaS names. I mean, this stock 
quietly, you know, is up 50% of the year. And it's at a very big technical level if you want to back it out a, a little bit. And this is, again, a very expensive stock. But look at that. I mean, like that is consolidating above those highs, right, from last mm -hmm. spring or so. Look at that 200-day moving average right there. Talk about a name that has the potential to break out. And, and they're going to report, I think, in a few weeks or so. So, again, what are we trying to do here? None of these stocks fit my narrative about a pullback in the NASDAQ, which we were just talking about 10 years ago, back towards that uptrend or that kind of 200-day moving average. But it's important to bring them up because if they were to kind of demonstrate some fundamental you know, kind of a progress, and then also investors are willing to pay more for them in this rate environment, that would be saying something, wouldn't it, Guy? Yeah, it would, without question. But then the, the question you have to ask yourself is, are we setting up for an epic failure in this? Go back to early 2020, the spring. I mean, we held the 200-day moving average on that huge, like everything got sold off, obviously, then, and bounced. And then on the way back down in early 2022, we actually traded down to the 200-day moving average, bounced for a couple of weeks, traded back to it, failed, traded back up to it, stopped. Then we had the huge sell-off into late last year, early this year. Now we're right back again. So what question you have to ask yourself is, we've had this pretty significant move. Are we going to stop here into earnings and then fail again? And that's the rub, right? And if these high valuation names start to roll over, Again, what does it mean for the broader market? So it's just, it, we go round and round and round. Meanwhile, here we are, you know, again, a handful of names driving the bus, the market trying to figure it out here at 41.37 or so in the S&P. And I think even the most bullish are frustrated. And I know probably being one of the more bearish people out there, I'm frustrated as well. Yeah, you know, the listen, the one thing I would just say is that if those stocks that we just mentioned were to turn lower, I mean, they just beat and raised. And, and, and granted, I'm sure a lot of those estimates have come down, right? And so it really would be a market thing and it might be predicated on valuations. And I think this earnings period was really um, important to me because stocks like Lyft, stocks like Snap, these are companies that are unprofitable on a gap basis. You know, they got killed when they reported disappointing results, okay? And so I think that's important. Like, we're starting to see a bit more dispersion right here. And again, I think the way we got out of the gates this year after a horrible 22 you know, I've said it many times over the last four months or so. I mean, I think it felt like investors were just ready to be done being bearish. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And so now we're seeing a bit more focus on, um, you know, companies that are putting up decent quarters and are able to offer some better path towards future or further profitability, even if it does come at like Shopify is another stock. I mean, have you seen this thing guy? It's gone parabolic. Yeah. They're kind of cutting 20% of their jobs. They're selling off the logistics business. You know, the results were pretty good. And that thing has just been a rocket ship over the last week since that broke out of this big range. So listen, I, you know, I, I'm I'm cognizant of all of this. I still have positioning playing for a pullback. I don't have a position in Airbnb, um, but, you know, I, I saw somebody ask that question. But I'm thinking about it. I want to buy stocks where the stories are pretty good and if they're going to basically be able to continue to perform decently, at least towards the stuff that they've guided to in their metrics in what might continue to be a difficult macro environment. All that said, I don't know about you, Guy, and maybe you can put a little bit of a bow in this conversation before we get to the financials because I think we have to hit some well, of that's, well, well, that Well, um, that is the bow, yeah. right? I mean, the yeah. bow is, is effectively the financials. And so many, look, a lot of these stories have been cost cutting, and I've said it dozens of times. 
you know, you can cost cut your way to the stock moving higher in the short term. We've seen that many, many times over the years, but I don't think you can cost cut your way to prosperity at a certain point that runs its course as well. And everything you're talking about when you're laying people off, I mean, that speaks to the labor market, which is resilient as hell. But it seems to me the Fed is sort of dead set on trying to get that unemployment rate north of four and a half percent. And they're light years away from that. What are the growing pains associated with that? And as we talk about banks now, and we had a call at 1230 for Fast Money, and I thought it was interesting, despite the fact that a lot of these banks were rallying significantly, at least the last time I looked, the carry was actually down on the day. And I had the conversation with Liz Young earlier. We had the conversation last week. We've talked about it a number of times. It's not so much the stocks. It's what the landscape is going to look like. And we had that conversation on, on the tape um, that dropped on Friday. So, and that was with Stuart Sop, if you recall. Like, yeah. what does the world look like in an environment where regulation is coming, uh, credit is tightening, and the lifeblood of this economy is small and medium-sized business? And if they're in any way hamstrung, you know, what are we looking at? So the banks are important. They're trading vehicles now, but they tell a much bigger picture, in my opinion. Yeah, so, and I guess what you and I were just talking about a bit before is that, like, okay, the headlines this morning waking up were that, you know, regional banks, you know, kind of feel like they're trying to put a bottom in here. Maybe there's a lot of bad news in them. They're rallying here, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, look at the day chart in the KRE, you know, like this is, um, you know, it's it started higher um and mm -hmm. the, the headlines and and we're near the lows on the day we're down and you know some of these other names that i think some investors were worried about in you know maybe kind of being put in receivership or kind of having some um big days here um but again the volatility in this group has has not been something that you wanted to bet for the upside here it just doesn't feel like we're done with that one yet and and one of the names and, and i guess not a regional bank but we've talked about a bunch and, and last monday we talked about it, was schwab and part of it was, was like what's going on here because this stock can't get out of its own way and there's been re repeated attempts um by the company to kind of assuage some fears about deposit flight there right but look at where this stock is you know so that's just the day chart let's look at um a, a five day chart and then let's look at the one year i mean this thing is not far away from that kind of two-year closing low guy that it made on Thursday. And so to me, I just feel like until we get some, I, I, I don't know what it is that we get, but, but until we, there's gotta be some sort of capitulation and we have not had it yet in, in the regionals and we haven't had it yet in a name like Schwab that we know that has large deposits as it relates to um, their brokerage business. I think it's extraordinarily important. And you're talking about Schwab. This is not a small company. Even with the move lower, you're talking about a company that still is probably an $87 billion market cap firm. And to your point and a point you've made over and over again, outside that bounce we saw on the back of the Sarah Eisen interview a few weeks ago with the CEO where he said that he had bought stock, and the, bounce, the stock bounced pretty significantly, I think from 46 almost up to 60. Stock has been awful ever since. It's telling a story. And, you know, and the market's been okay since then. It's absolutely telling a story, almost, in my opinion, as important as some of these regional banks. So if you start to see some deterioration in swab, what is that going to do for investor confidence, do you think? If whatever's going on internally, I can't speak to it. But 
there are clearly some machinations that are happening that we're not privy to just in terms of how the stock is trading. So I guarantee there are a number of banks out there and I can list them off. I'm sure a JP Morgan or a Goldman Sachs and even a Morgan Stanley, despite the fact that they already have one, would love to be able to tuck in what is a think about it. It's one of those iconic brand names, but the stock doesn't trade well. And I think it does speak to a market sentiment thing. And, you know, if Schwab, the venerable Charles Schwab, which, by the way, I just saw the arena in Omaha, Nebraska, you know, if that stock were to continue to fall, I think people would start to question, wait a second, what is going on out there? You know, it's interesting. Um, that used to be the TD Center or whatever guy because TD was headquartered in Omaha and Schwab mm -hmm. bought Schwab bought TD, which is amazing to think about. And this is really, I guess, the thing that you and I are able to say again and again and again. This is a consistent thing. Is like, you know, like like MA just powers on here and you know, they gobble up competitors. When you think about that, these were two of the largest kind of brokers out there, and now they're one. And then if you think about the stock down 30%, okay, that's 30% of that combined entity. And you know, it just kind of goes away. And then the other point I'll just make is that you know we're going to get results um paypal is when i think it's uh today is it tomorrow uh, oh it's today after the close okay mm -hmm. the implied move in the options market for paypal is about seven percent this has an 85 billion dollar market cap schwab right now down 30 percent has a uh 88 billion dollar market cap and it's interesting at its highs paypal okay which is still down i think 60 or 70 percent from its highs was bigger than Bank of America in market cap terms. Okay, just think about that. And this thing can't get out of its own way right now, which is shocking. It's only up about 6.5% um, on the year. It's obviously up from those lows that it made last year. And when I think about a, a company like this, you know, that's expected to have, let's call it, I think – Mid-teens earnings growth, high single-digit sales growth. Okay, this was a massive disruptor. Venmo, you know, their peer-to-peer -peer payments was something that was gobbling up market share at a time. And, you know, they listen, during the pandemic, they kind of pulled forward a lot of demand for that. And hopefully that was sticky for them. Like, this is a stock, to me, that looks totally reasonable. Guy trading at a, an, you know, PE in, in the mid to high teens, depending upon where your estimates are for this sort of thing. But it can't get out of its own way. And that's one of the things that I find really interesting. Interesting. A lot of investors are going to say to themselves, okay, well, you know, wh wh what's wrong with PayPal? What's wrong with PayPal is that the valuation two years ago made absolutely no sense. And the market has a lot of memory, right? And so this looks like, well, why wouldn't you buy this thing unless they have an absolute disaster of guidance coming out here? Because it looks pretty reasonable. And they obviously are, you know, but again, I mean, like they're at the forefront of this kind of digital payments transformation but right now the market's not appreciating what's that about to you well if you think about i know you know this i mean paypal was actually fine and then things started to deteriorate not i listen not coincidence in the fall of 2021 and then they came out i actually shouldn't say that then the story came out that paypal was potentially interested in pinterest i think paypal denied it where there's smoke there's fire and the commentary that we had on the back of that was well, whether it's true or not, I mean, it's clear they're concerned about growth and how are they going to sort of generate growth? They can't do it organically anymore. They have to do it by acquisition. And then you had a couple disastrous quarters. And now here we are with zero bounce to your point. And yes, you can make a case on valuation, but I think you, you would agree with this as well. You could have made the same case over the last six months and the stock really hasn't moved. So maybe this is a quarter that it does something. 
and maybe we blast through that sort of 81 and a half, 82 dollar level and we party in terms of the 200 day moving average. But I got to tell you something. Um, it's an important stock, I think, just given the size of it and the fact that it has not participated at all now for the better part of you know six, seven months. I, I think it's something you have to look at. Yeah, Square reported last week, and, and the results you know, were meh, if you will. Stock Mitch, really didn't do yes, anything, like Mitch, you know, and, and and not trading particularly well. It feels like these two stocks, they probably have um, another leg lower. Um, I think, you know, PayPal has got a good balance sheet. Obviously, the company's making money here. You know, gross margins just below 50% or so. I mean, like, to me, I, I think that that's a stock that you'd want to kind of buy. I'm not particularly interested um, in this square um, or block, whatever you want to call it here. Um, but, you know, like I've said this a lot during earnings season, Guy, I don't think you need to be a hero in front of any of these names, especially with where kind of the market is right now. Um, you know, I think that some of this stuff, if you don't think that you are going to have a better opportunity in the next few months to buy the S&P or the NASDAQ or some of the main components of them like i it's just not how the markets work in general and i get it you know you feel like we're fighting here a little bit but i think you know it could be a week or two where um we get the opposite price action that we've had over the last two weeks and then all of a sudden remember that sequencing that we talked about with carter's work with my friend jorge over there um at that that gfr macro uh you know like this has been the trade for the last kind of year and a half or so i just i don't see anything as an outlier right now, that's going to cause the markets to break out in a meaningful way. If we do have a headline that the White House is willing to negotiate on the debt ceiling, which I do not think they're going to do, I think they might give the optics of it. They're not. They're going to go for a clear raise. They've done it. They did it under Trump three times. Okay, like there's no reason that they have to give up trillions of dollars in fiscal spending. You know what I mean? Just to get this thing done. And I don't think that's going to happen. And I do think that we are going to have that agreement on the limit. I just don't think that we're going to have that thing tripped at all. But if we do, okay, is there a 2% rally in the markets, man? Maybe, but like, I think you faded at that point. It's interesting that if you were to see a resolution over the next, let's just say a week or so, yeah, the knee jerk will be the market goes higher because that's what happens. And listen, maybe that, that maybe that's what does take place, but I'll say this, and you've heard the rhetoric out of the administration and out of the Dem and, and again, this is not political. This is just what you hear. We do not want to negotiate being feel like we're being taken hostage by this. So both sides seem to be pretty dug in. And tomorrow's meeting, I wouldn't underestimate the importance of it. And we talked about it earlier. Janet Yellen's going to speak, I think, to Sarah Eisen today, or she's speaking and Sarah will be there. I'm not sure exactly what's going on, but she made it pretty clear, Janet Yellen did over the weekend, that you know, as we get closer and closer, the potential for default would be, her words, not mine, catastrophic for the market. So I do think we'll avoid it, but I also do think they're going to push it to the limit. So we'll see. And in the meantime, you're just getting chopped up here in the market with, you know, up, down. But again, over the course of the last three and a half weeks, there's literally no movement at all, which makes sense that I guess that the, the, the VIX is trading where it's trading, Dan. I guess. All right. Well, Guy, I think we've got... By the way, before we get out of here, um, the lacrosse playoffs, NC2A lacrosse playoffs set, mm -hmm. um, both the men's and the women's bracket. I just want to give a shout out to the Georgetown men's team. I think they're coming in as a seven seed. They play Yale, which I think won the Ivy League or maybe not. Maybe oh, Cornell no, no. won. I don't know. It doesn't matter. 
uh, or maybe print. No, I guess Cornell, Princeton Cornell won, won the regular season, and Princeton won the big or the uh, the the, the Ivy. Well, Yale great. snuck in. Yeah. So Georgetown Yale setting up for a Georgetown Virginia round two. Now Stephen Rafis is listening, saying to himself, <laughs> "What does this dipshit know about lacrosse?" And he's right. But I mention that because once the college season is over, what starts, Dan Nathan? The Premier Lacrosse League. Yes, it does. It does. Yes, it does. And our guys got a big campaign ahead of them. A big campaign. Junior. I'm looking. I'm looking. I'm looking for a big season. I'm looking like 11 goals, 28 assists out of Stephen Ray. I think he'd be disappointed with only 11 goals because um, I think he's got. You know, he's got. He's got. He's got. uh, He's. He's going to get back up in there. He's going to have a heck of a season here. We're excited for him. So uh, I think that we're going to take a poll. By the way. Yeah. How many games do they play? This I, I know you probably don't know. How many games do they play in the PLL? Does Steven there? Can he whisper it in like, here? Uh, I think they play 10, 10 uh, games. 10 weekends, yeah, or something like so, that. So, I mean, 11-28 is not a stretch. So, maybe 15. How about 15-30, Steven? How about 15-30, okay? Yeah, I'm going to say uh, 18 and 22. So, I'm 18 and 20, you, you're uh, 22 and you're 15. And we 30. get the 40 the same way. Okay, there you go. There you go. Uh, people online, let us know what you think about Stephen Rafus. He plays for the Cannons, by the way. That's it, Dan, for Market Call. We went over. Uh, thanks for indulging us with the late start today. We'll be back at the regular time tomorrow, where once again, it'll be just Dan and I. It will be a Chicago Mercantile Exchange Day, where we talk about things through the lens of futures. Check out our YouTube uh, channel. Please subscribe. It doesn't cost anything. It just costs you your time. And smash the like button because that's what the like button is there for. I want to thank who do I want to thank, Dan. I want to thank FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. Also, our data provider. Uh, we're on Fast Money in approximately two and a half hours. We will see you then. See you later.